Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. We'll speak to Brandon from Belfast Live. Brandon Hughes. Good morning, Brandon. Good morning, Frank. Brandon, you're probably punch drunk after the weekend. I think anyone who followed every uh, beat and move of the election count will feel like that. Just in case people run Mars, Sinn Féin 27, DUP 25, Alliance 17, UUP 9, SDLP 8, TUV 1, People Before Profit 1 and 2 Independents. That's how it all worked out. Brendan, what's the next move? What, what happens now? Will anyone listen to the Secretary of State when he talks to these parties today? Well, I think we're in for perhaps a period of protracted negotiations. I don't think we're expecting the uh, executive, a new executive, to be formed anytime soon. The Secretary of State is going to sit down with the leaders of the five main parties today, pressing on them to reform an executive as soon as possible. He is also due to speak to the Irish Minister for Foreign Affairs, Simon Coveney, um, about the outcome of the election. And I suppose it's a, a first day back, a, perhaps a first day back at school for a lot of the MLAs and also a first day for a lot of the MLAs. Today they will, I suppose, be getting, going back up to the uh, to Parliament buildings. There will be a bit of a meet and greet um, for the MLAs and an induction programme will be offered to all of those arriving to take their seats today. So I think, you know, for example, the Alliance Party is arranging a bit of a photo call because obviously they had an extremely good result um, in the election. So they want to, I suppose, parade their newly uh, their new MLAs, and I expect that a lot of the other parties, um, such as Sinn Féin, will want to do the same thing. Um, so you know, it's I suppose it's the first day for people getting back um, to the assembly for some, and for some it'll be their first time. But in terms of the future of the executive, we at the moment, we currently have, um, I suppose, ministers who had been in place before the election. Um, they are remaining in place in a caretaker capacity um, until a new executive is formed. But there will be one minister that will not be there, and that will be um, the SDLP deputy leader, Nicola Mallon. Because she lost her seat, she can no longer be the infrastructure minister within the executive. So the SDLP uh, could renominate to the role, but it's not um, sure, it's not clear at this point whether they will indeed um, nominate to that role. Um, and it's not its not really clear at this stage what happens if they don't. We're really in uncharted territory here. It could be the case that the post simply remains empty until a new executive is formed and it would therefore pass over to um, civil servants to um, keep the department functioning until, until such time as an executive is formed. 
on the lower end. Yeah, of ju- the ju- scale, just on that, but, but ju- just on that, the, the SDLP have the, the right to nominate someone to carry out the role, but their heart obviously won't be in it because uh, as soon if an executive is formed, uh, that'll be the first person to be told, sling your hook. Well, that's well, that's right. Yes. So at the moment, you know, we're operating under the under the um, having you know the ministers from the previous executive. Obviously, um, the DUP in February withdrew the first minister, um, which means that there is no functioning executive. The ministers cannot meet in a formal capacity to, for example, um, agree a budget and those sorts of major decisions. But um, other ministers who have not walked out, they remain in post for now in, as I say, a caretaker capacity and can take limited decisions for the time being. But because Nicola Mallon lost her seat in North Belfast, she cannot continue as the infrastructure minister. The SDLP could renominate to the role, but really, you know, it's it's a question really still at this stage whether they will. And um, because whenever a new executive is formed, because the SDLP had such a bad election, they lost seats and are now down to eight seats. It means that they don't have enough MLAs to qualify automatically for a seat at the executive table when a new executive is formed they will they have to go into opposition within the assembly so it could be a case that um, the SGLP leader columnist would decide really to make a clean break for opposition right now and to say that really with the, the mandate for forming a new executive is with the the parties that did well in this election and so really it's so really it's you know, the SDLP should um, start um, scrutinising and being in opposition from from today rather than um, delaying it any further by renominating to that post. And, and just on that, when we do, if, if we do, it's a heck of a big if, if we do get this new executive, what way are the ministers divided out? Well, my understanding is that the um, DUP would, well, Sinn Féin would get three ministers, I believe, and then the... Um, the the DUP would get two, and Alliance one. I, I, the the problem I the problem I have is that the 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 process is so complicated as to how it works, and that it's very difficult to know how many um, ministers each department would get or each, each party would get. Um, but you know, because Sinn Féin is the largest party now. It means that obviously they have the um, first minister post and they are entitled to that position. The DUP would um, be entitled to the deputy first minister position. Sinn Féin would have the most um, departments within the within the executive and the DUP would um, be second to that. Um, Alliance, I think, will go up to two departments. It's expected that they would be uh, you know, the first ones to be really decide whether they would take the justice minister role. That's decided outside of DeHaunt. That's decided through a cross-community vote in the Assembly. Um, so if they take that position, then they only have one other pick. And then the Ulster Unionist Party would have one pick within um, the whenever they're divvying up the roles and would probably be last and will be last among the parties to make their decision as to which department they pick. But again, I suppose a bit like the SCLP, it could be the case that the Ulster Unionist Party, whenever they get, whenever we eventually get round to forming an executive, they could decide to go into opposition. They lost one seat in the Assembly election, so they may feel that they want to make a break for opposition. And so therefore the pick that they would have within the power sharing executive would then be, would go back into the de- de- haunt system 
for um, another party to to choose from. So you know, there's a, there's a lot of things that are still up in the air as to what happens next. We had legislation that was passed at Westminster back in February, which basically means that we have these ministers who remain in place and um, for up to six months in a caretaker capacity. And if there is no new executive formed by the end of that 24-week period, then it will um, be it will fall upon the Northern Ireland Secretary Brandon Lewis to really call a fresh election, and that could be something that um, the DUP, for example, decides to go for if they want to try and strengthen their numbers um, ahead of any new executive being formed. So we are really there are a lot of. Um, open-ended questions as to how things move forward from here. you think the appetite is among the electorate at the moment for another election in six months? I wouldn't say the appetite is there. Now, the turnout for the election uh, this time around did hold up quite well. It was slightly down on um, what happened in 2017, but you know a lot of people did come out to vote. But I fear that if people were sent back to the polls in six months' time, um, you know there, there'd be a lot of people who would decide not to not to vote again. Um, and I think that you know the I suppose the strategy that could be deployed by the likes of the DUP um, going into if they decided to try and push for a second snap a snap election would be to um, try and gain back some of that support that they lost to TUV and argue that because people decided to vote TUV number one, that meant that Sinn Féin became the largest party. And it would also, I, re- I suppose, polarise politics even further between um, you know, three main parties. There would be a further squeezing potentially of the middle ground or moderate nationalism and unionism parties in favour of uh, Sinn Féin, the DUP, and Alliance Party in the middle. I suppose that's what we could see if there is another election called. But we are a long way um, off something like that happening at the moment. As I say, uh, the party leaders are meeting later today to, I suppose, discuss where things lie. Um, the, and you know, we will move forward from there. But as I say, it looks like there will be a protracted process ahead. And the other issue with this is that the longer that gap remains between or grows between um, the election having taken place and the reforming of the new executive, the more difficult it becomes really to stitch power sharing back together. Because as we saw in 2017, whenever there was no executive formed um, after the RHI controversy in that snap assembly election um, in 2017, we had a three-year hiatus. The, the number of issues that um, the parties that had between them, the number of disagreements grew and the long list of outstanding issues that they had to resolve grew into a very lengthy new decade, new approach agreement. And so the longer that period of time uh, between an election and um, coming up with an agreement to form a new executive, the more issues that the parties will um, come up with that they have to deal with. And in the meantime, they all get paid. Yes, they. As far as my understanding is, that they will all remain with the the salaries of the um, that you know MLAs will get. There there will be no reduction in those salaries. We did see um, during the three year hiatus hiatus that we had um, following the snap assembly election in 2017, whenever there was no executive formed after that point, that the Secretary of State at that time, Karen Bradley, did eventually make a decision to, in a graduated way, um, reduce the salaries of MLAs while there had been no um, executive formed. But it 
it could be a different approach this time from the Secretary of State because um, the last time there was no executive, there was also no assembly functioning. I think that later this week we will have the nomination of a new speaker. Um, I believe that there, there's talk that there could be a meeting, a formal meeting of the assembly on Thursday to nominate a speaker. Um, and if that happens, then my understanding is that the executive would be, or sorry, the, the assembly would be able to function. And so therefore, MLAs would be able to carry out some sort of duties and some work at um, parliament buildings. So there could be a different approach from the Northern Ireland office in relation to salary and pay, if it is the case that the assembly, at least, is able to function. And as I say, we're in a different territory from 2017 because whenever the executive collapsed previously, um, we had this, um, I suppose, civil service rule where um, there were no ministers in post at all for a three-year period. So I suppose a lot of the public were looking at MLAs and saying, what are you doing? But this time round, there will be ministers in post, albeit in a limited capacity, and they won't be able to do much within this limbo period that we're currently in. And finally, Brendan, Monday morning, the alarm goes off and they're back to work. Who do you think felt better this morning as she turned over in her bed, Michelle O'Neill or Naomi Long? (laughs) Well, I think it's a toss-up between the two. They both had uh, extremely good elections. Um, Sinn Féin ran an extremely good campaign. Um, They have obviously made history as the the first time a Nationalist Party has had the most seats in the Assembly and the first time that a Nationalist will eventually be entitled to hold the First Minister post. It was an extremely positive campaign that Sinn Féin ran um, in the end and the message of having a Nationalist First Minister, what they described as having a First Minister for all, um, that really uh, resonated with Nationalist voters and uh, really um, rallied support behind Sinn Féin in the the days before the election, um, especially after the DUP and the Ulster Unionists had, throughout the election campaign, refused to say whether they would accept the Deputy First Minister post if Sinn Féin was indeed the largest party. So I think that worked in their favour. And the Alliance Party had an extremely good election. I think that in going into this, they were conservative in terms of the numbers that they were expecting to get. Um, and they ended up um, getting more MLAs than I think many people were expecting, including including themselves. In terms of their targets, they, in all of the places that they ran two um, candidates, um, they managed to return two candidates. And I think there was six there were six constituencies where they ran two candidates and therefore they got two in each of those constituencies and that alone meant that they had more MLAs than they had the last time round. And in the end, they had 17 returned, which is a huge number. And I think what would be particularly um, sweet for the Alliance Party is taking that um, MLA seat in North Antrim, what was once considered a DUP heartland. They previously had two MLAs, but um, now they've been reduced to one MLA within North Antrim. So it has been a huge result for Alliance and um, there are potentially further gains down the road whenever they look at some of the some of the results. You know, the East Londonderry result was extremely close. So they will be looking at potentially having another MLA to add to their roster next time round. And just one other point, because it it keeps coming, kept coming up over the weekend, and anecdotally it is all over the place. I'm just wondering if there, if there's, you feel as a political editor that there's 
any real uh, truth in it. Did a significant number of nationalists abandon the SDLP to vote for Sinn Féin simply despite Geoffrey Donaldson because he was so closely linked to Jimmy Bryson? I, I'm not sure whether you can specifically say about whether it was due to the link between Jimmy Bryson as a loyalist activist and um, Sir Jeffrey Donaldson. I'd say there were a lot of different factors that meant that uh, nationalists did swing in behind uh, Sinn Féin, particularly around the First Minister uh, post and whether um, they wished to see uh, you know, a nationalist having that having that post. I think going into this election, people thought, um, and based on the polling as well, people thought that both Sinn Féin and the DUP would lose percentage um, of their share of the vote and that really it would be a battle to see who would lose the most seats. In the end, Sinn Féin had an extremely good election and actually put on percentage points in terms of their vote share. They now have more than a quarter of a million first preference votes. They added 1.1% to their share of the vote, whereas the DUP declined by 6.7%. Um, and um, so therefore there was, you know, there was a huge result for Sinn Féin. And in the end, you know, even though there was a lot of talk about Sinn Féin trying to suppose soften the image of Michelle O'Neill and soften you know, the idea of a border poll not basically downplay their ambitions for um, Irish unity in the run-up to the election. In the end, they didn't even need it because they were able to put on um, votes in comparison to what they had in 2017. In terms of the DUP, they had, um, I suppose, they had a, a bad election, but it wasn't as bad as what some people thought it would be. And the reason for that was because of good strategy around um, the management of candidate numbers. So although they lost 6.7% of their share of the first preference votes, they only lost three MLAs, and that's because they were able to you know, manage the number of candidates they had in certain areas and um, places like um, North Antrim, they could have potentially lost more if they had run three candidates as they did last time round. They only ran two, and so therefore they returned um, one MLA. So that that sort of um, management in the run up to the election saved saved them a lot of um, a lot of MLAs in the end. And is it the beginning of the end for the Ultra Unionist Party? It's a difficult. It was a difficult election for the Ulster Unionist Party, especially as the votes were coming in. Um, you know, at the start, people were um, concerned about whether um, the Ulster Unionist Party leader Doug Beattie uh, could be could lose his seat himself. Um, and you know, they were they were looking at um, difficult um, results in a lot of places. I know that Mike Nesbitt, the former leader of the Ulster Unionist Party, whenever he saw some of the boxes being opened in Belfast, he was looking extremely worried. And um, eventually he did get over the line. So it shows how important transfers are. But they've only managed to they've managed to lose one MLA. So I think that, that um, going into this election, um, that's really a good result for them, them because the campaign wasn't that wasn't that good. And they didn't have a strong message. And the Ulster Unionist leader, Doug Beattie, didn't perform well in the um, TV debates, didn't really set out what it was that people should be voting for um, in comparison to the DUP. And so therefore, a lot of the focus of those debates was on Sir Geoffrey Donaldson. So I think that, you know, all in all, the UUP should be, um, I suppose, content enough that they only lost one MLA whenever, in some cases, it was looking like they could have lost um, several more. 
Okay, Brendan, I really appreciate your overview on it. Uh, thank you very much indeed. Brendan Hughes from Belfast Live with us here on the U105 uh, phone-in. Of course, one of the many people punch drunk with uh, election counts over the weekend. Not going to stay with it for, for very long, but uh, I know there's a, a man who'll feel that he's deserving of some praise. The Lucid Talk polls weren't that far away. Uh, Bill White from Lucid Talk is on the line. Bill, good morning. Good morning, Frank. You seem to be accurate enough this time round. Uh, yes, indeed. I mean, I listened to Brendan, your previous uh, contributor there. Um, we got everything pretty spot on. He did mention the point about Sinn Féin. Yes, we underestimated Sinn Féin. The poll, the last or last pre-election poll, which is obviously the one you count in terms of comparing it to the election result, we underestimated uh, Sinn Féin just under 2%. Um, they came in at 29. We had them, you know, between 26 and a half and 27. Uh, everything else we got pretty spot on. The TUV surge was polled fairly well. We had them around 8.5%. They've come in around 8%. Um, the Alliance Party, 13.5% vote share. We had them projected at 14 We did overestimate the UUP a little bit. Uh, they dropped away maybe in the last days of the campaign, I think. Uh, we've overestimated them by about 1% to 1.5%. But in polling terms, as you know, Frank, that's all very, very good results. I mean, you can't get a poll that gets an election absolutely precisely, or else uh, you could use the line, well, we don't need elections now. We could just use a bit. So uh, we're very, very pleased with the uh, performance overall. How surprised were you, however, that the Alliance managed to translate that into 17 seats? Well, that's where the seats come in, Frank. If you remember an interview I did with you before the election, I said we do the dry boring bit. That's what pollsters do. We do the Northern Ireland wide vote shares. And of course, we know, you know, everyone was interested in the seats and how that falls out. That's the interesting bit. And Alliance really, really overperformed against their vote share. I mean, their vote management, as Brendan said previously, was absolutely superb in all the uh, constituencies they ran in. They really have got a very powerful electoral machine and they really overperform and maximise that vote to get up to 17 seats. The opposite of that, to be fair, and we have to be fair, is that the TUV were incredibly unlucky in that they got a fairly reasonable vote share of about 8% compared to Alliance's 14% and they ended up with one seat. So, they, you know, that brings home the difference. They um, they just didn't, um, you know, get that luck to get those extra transfers in the various seats they were running in. You know, as I always say, uh, you know, I love politics, I love sport, uh, but there's the overlap between politics and sport is elections. You need an element of luck in elections, Frank. You need the ball to fall for you on the day. And, uh, you know, just moving a few votes around constituencies would have got the TUV two or three seats. They, but, you know, it, the luck wasn't there for them and they've ended up again. As I did say before the election, it's perfectly possible for the TUV to get six, seven or eight percent of the vote share. I did say this and come back with only Jim uh, Allister as the only MLA. I did follow up a saying in that interview that they'd have to be unlucky for that to happen, but that that unluckiness, uh, you know, came what was was with them uh, last Thursday in the election. And have you t- done any straw polling at all about what people want in relation to whether or not they should form an executive or not? They're, they're, all our polling, even way back from months, Frank, and years, people want devolution here. They want devolution to work. In fact, that could have been one of the factors why the TV just, you know, we, we predicted them around 8, 8%, or sorry, 8.5%. Why maybe some in the end were frightened off the TUV. There's unionists there concerned about the current system. Uh, they're concerned about the uh, dysfunctionality, but they do want it to work. 
All sides in Northern Ireland, maybe for different reasons, admittedly, but all sides in Northern Ireland want some form of devolution here. They don't want a form of direct rule. So, you know, the people out there and all our polling show, they want the politicians to try to solve, to try to, to you know, solve these issues that you've already covered, the Northern Ireland Protocol, etc., and get back up there and get a functioning assembly and a functioning executive. You know, that comes through very strongly in all the polling, and that's been the case for the last two or three years, Frank. I mean, not just pre-election. Um, so one thing may have happened in the campaign, Frank, must always remember the polls. And I don't, I, you know, we have a very good performance in the polling. But one little disadvantage we have as posters, there's a time delay. I mean, our last pre-election poll was 10 days before the election. And then it takes us a week to get the data together, make sure it's sound, analyze it, wait the data and get it into a presentable format. And then the results were announced on Friday, the 29th of April in the Belfast Telegraph. And then there was another five-day delay to the election. So there's a bit of a time delay with polling and things can happen in that period. I think one of the things happened was that BBC TV leaders debate, we did a post-program poll on that uh, BBC leaders TV debate and it showed a substantial vast majority of nationalist Republican voters, including SDLP voters, were very annoyed at Jeffrey Donaldson's attitude to not taking up that post uh, you know, in the executive, if Sinn Féin won the election. They were annoyed about obviously the attitude and all their protocol, etc., not going back into the institutions. Uh, so that may have actually swung, uh, you know, give Sinn Féin a boost at that period of time. A number of SDLP voters, possible SDLP voters, may have said, no, I'm going to vote Sinn Féin this time to try to teach the DPUP a lesson. Likewise, in the unionist side, there was a bit of, uh, you know, we got the comments back that um, they thought the other leaders were ganging up on Jeffrey Donaldson a bit, and that may have led to a little boost on the DUP side, which may explain that slight 1% difference in the vote shares that we have in our poll, which was taken 10 days before the election, compared to the actual election result. So um, so that's uh, that's really how the... Uh, how the polling has, has, has turned out, Frank. Bill, thank you for the analysis of it. Uh, thank you indeed. Bill White from Lucid Talk, who was busy in the run-up. And uh, John Tong is with us now, who was the most accurate of all. As a matter of fact, uh, John, you predicted it uh, a two-seat victory for Sinn Féin, and that's exactly how it turned out. Uh, were you surprised, however, with the Alliance's 17? I, I was. That's where I was uh, way off, because I had the Alliance on 12. Uh, I didn't see the 17 coming. When he attended Alliance's party conference uh, a couple of months ago, they were very, very bullish. I mean, people like David Ford, the former leader, said, no, we will make substantially more gains than that. And maybe I should have listened to him, but I thought they were getting carried away in the euphoria of a party conference uh, pre-election. As you say, Bill, Bill's had a a great uh, election. That's his second consecutive really good uh, assembly election in terms of getting the uh, the percentages right. His, his was his were the most accurate in terms of first preference votes. Uh, second was the social market research University of Liverpool ones organised by my colleague Pete Sherlow, uh, published in the Irish News. They had a margin of error of uh, they had an error of 2.1 percent per party, and then there was Servation that was the uh, the least uh, accurate, but still still pretty accurate in, in many ways. But they only had a, a very small Sinn Féin percentage lead over the DUP, which was quite a bit larger uh, on the day. But I mean, you know, there were there were lots of surprises in the election, and yet in some ways, in some ways, it was it was predictable um, that it would be quite close between Sinn Fein and the DUP, but with Sinn Fein uh, getting home, uh, because you know all the polls have been telling us for a long time that the that Sinn Fein was ahead, but the DUP had a certain amount of cushion in a lot of constituencies, which meant that still a lot of DUP 
MLAs would be elected. And that's exactly how it turned out. What we perhaps didn't anticipate was just how efficient Alliance were in getting transfers to get their candidates over the line. So they get 17 candidates elected uh, on 116,000 votes, whereas the TUV get 66,000 votes, only 50,000 less than Alliance, but only get a single candidate, partly because the DUP reached quota and partly because the TUV is so transfer unfriendly. So, you know, there are anomalies in what is supposed to be a, a proportional voting system. So it's all done, it's all dusted, and today is their first day back. But there's a real flatness in the air as far as the electorate's concerned. People aren't excited about what may or may not be happening. They're just going through a sense of, I, I, I suppose, frustration could, could sum it up because they can't really predict how we're going to get out of the quagmire we're in that affects us in so many ways on a daily basis. Yeah, you have an election, and yet it appears that having an executive is almost a bonus. It doesn't always seem a, you know, logical follow-on from an election in Northern Ireland. We've been there before, years ago, 2003. It took four years uh, after the election before a government had to have another election before an executive was formed. There's no sign that the, the DUP is going back in quickly into the executive. There have been some mixed messages, it has to be said. Paul Given, the first minister who, of course, was pulled out of the executive, by his party in February, pulled out as first minister. On Friday night, it appeared that he was very, very keen to go back in. And there are some DUP figures who, who, who would go back in fairly quickly, but there are others who simply say, well, look, we, we, we are going to stay out because that constitutes leverage in terms of movement on the protocol. And you know, no matter how those who are pro-protocol parties, you know, no matter how much their voters are enraged by that, the DUP isn't for budging at the moment. I'm not sure that Brandon Lewis can pull rabbits out, out of a hat to get the DUP back into the executive because, you know, in terms of legislate, domestic legislation to remove the protocol, well, I'm not sure that can necessarily be done because the UK would be in breach of the protocol treaties that it assigned. Brandon Lewis, of course, has the option of triggering Article 16 to suspend the protocol, and that would get the DUP back in. Uh, into the institutions. But I think ultimately the fact that, you know, the Secretary of State introduced this legislation where the parties have got six months to sort this out. In the meantime, there will be a, a shadow, some would call it a zombie executive in place, means that this isn't going to be sorted out anytime soon. I, I said for a long time out that the, this will drag on potentially until the autumn. I think what would be madness though, and this is being mooted, is to have another set of elections to try and resolve this. What would another set of elections necessarily resolve? You're either going to keep the protocol, change the protocol, you know, <laughs> or implement the protocol, you know, or remove it. I mean, you can't having having consecutive sets of elections doesn't address the fundamental issue here about whether the protocol should remain and in what form. That needs to be dealt with. You know, not have another election as some sort of miraculous way of trying to deal with a problem it simply won't work there's no doubt that every time we hear someone from the dup speak they will mention the protocol what about Sinn fein and a border poll they're they're, they're talking about long-term preparation for a border poll everyone has to be talking about a border poll Th people have to be thinking about a border poll uh, is, is that is that code for we want a border poll well, it's no secret Sinn Féin wants Well, when I say we want it, but we, I, I should have phrased that as we want a border poll now. Well, Sinn Féin's manifesto uh, for the election said we want a date 
from the Secretary of State for a border poll. Sinn Féin fought a brilliant campaign, though, by not making that front and centre of the election campaign and talking about, you know, cost of living and health. That made perfect sense. Uh, and you obviously helped as well by the DUP's focus on a border poll. Uh, um, Brandon Lewis is not going to uh, give a uh, consider border poll date anytime soon. Yesterday, he was on the airwaves talking about how there had been more people voted for unionist parties uh, than had voted for nationalist parties. I'm not sure that's necessarily the sole criteria you should use because within that block of others, those who voted for Alliance, there'll be some who support United Ireland. But if you look at the poll of opinion polls, if you aggregate across the opinion polls in terms of where public opinion lies on Irish unity, the highest figures you're going to get are around the 40% mark. That's not to say that 60% support Northern Ireland staying in the United Kingdom. Support for that comes in at around the 50% mark. Uh, and then there's quite a section of the population that hasn't made up its mind. The criteria, insofar as they exist for calling a border poll, uh, are that the Secretary of State calls it when he believes that there is now a majority for constitutional change. We're not at that majority yet, and so he's under no obligation under the rules of the Good Friday Agreement to call a border poll, and he won't be calling one, I mean, is, is the short answer. But the issue isn't going to go away in the sense that Sinn Féin, given their performance uh, in the election in Northern Ireland, have realistic expectations based on the polls of becoming the largest party south of the border, and so whatever the rules say, the formal rules, the political pressure to have a border poll at some point will increase the longer that Sinn Féin continues to grow. Not that Sinn Féin has grown spectacularly at this election, but, you know, they've held all their seats and their, their vote share is up slightly and they're doing very, very well in the opinion polls south of the border. So, you know, you can't simply wish away, you know, those who don't, don't want a border poll, you can't just wish away the idea, but... There's not going to be one called any time soon either. But Mary Lou MacDonald is very clear. She wants it before the end of the decade. She's going to nurture all forms of opinion towards thinking about it, discussing it, and giving consideration to it. But she, she, she wants it before the end of this decade. I think before the end of the decade might be ambitious, but it would depend on Sinn Féin's electoral growth, the size of the nationalist bloc overall in, in, in Northern Ireland, uh, some, some further polling evidence, that there's a shift in which you get the majority of alliance voters coming out and saying, yeah, we want a united Ireland. So those are the sort of things that need measuring. Uh, Sinn Féin's growth in the South. There's a whole series of things, a set of hurdles over which Sinn Féin uh, and those in favour of United Ireland, because it's not just Sinn Féin supporters, uh, have to jump to get a border poll on. I mean, there will be one at some point, I'm fairly sure. The timescale is very, very difficult to predict, though, Frank, because... Yeah, the British government has got is still nervous. You know, the the demands for a second Scottish Scottish independence referendum still haven't gone away. So this, uh, the British government's got a lot on its plate at the moment. The last thing it's going to do is is, is call a, a border poll anytime soon, given all the uh, other issues uh, on its plate. But you know, Sinn Féin will continue to press. It's part of their core business to push for a border poll uh, for a United Ireland. Uh, we might end up, though, of course, in never-ending uh, territory because the terms of the Good Friday Agreement allow for another referendum. Uh, seven years, doesn't have to be one, but they allow for another referendum seven years after the first. So if, let's say, there was a border poll call before the end of the decade, but Republicans didn't get a United Ireland quite over the line, but it was close, then, you know, almost certainly the demand would start for another border poll uh, seven years later. So this could run 
and run and run basically. How likely is it, John, and it's the elephant in the room, that if there is a border poll and it doesn't go the right way for some specific group or groupings, that violence will be the outcome of it? I think that's, that, that, that is a concern. I mean, I wouldn't want to overplay it, but, you know, there might be a section of loyalism that, that would, uh, uh, you know, not come quietly. I mean, in, in, into United Ireland, there's always been that fear that at, at the back of some some people's minds. I mean, you know, this was a constitutional uh, democratic path laid out to Irish unity, laid out in, in the Good Friday Agreement, to which all the um, all the parties signed up to. I mean, everyone signed up to it. The, the representatives of the, of the loyalist paramilitary signed up to the, the Good Friday Agreement in the same way that, you know, the bulk of, you know, of Republican paramilitaries, uh, they signed up, up to it. Sinn Féin obviously signing up to it. So... It is a fear. I mean, it certainly is a fear. You, you know, you've seen stirrings of unrest within loyalist paramilitarism over the protocol. You would multiply that several times, no doubt, at the prospect of a of a united Ireland. But you know, it's up to it's, it's a democratic route, and we, you know, we, I don't think we should talk up the uh, the risk of, of you know, paramilitary violence to try and derail a, a constitutional proposition. But it would be foolish to completely ignore the. Uh, Ignore the risk as well. Uh, and finally, the zombies you talk about—not <laughs> you, not your not your word—but you used it because other people have been calling this uh, executive that we're now going to have a zombie ex- executive. C- can they do anything to resolve the issue that's on our doorstep at this present moment, the cost of living? No, there's a certain unreality about the whole election in a lot of ways because a lot some of the issues that were raised in it can't be dealt with by the executive anyway. Uh, so with border polls, protocols, they can't be directly dealt with by the executive anyway. Then we get onto the issues that some people think the executive can deal with, but cost of living, well, the, the, the soaring gas and electricity bills that, that are confronting people, there's not much the executive can frankly do about you know, global, global prices like that. Yes, they can offset it. I mean, for example, the SDLP talked about offering the households £200 um, uh, people before profit were offering households, except for the top fifth, fifth of earners, a thousand pound payments. Uh, Sinn Fein, I think, were offering two hundred and thirty pounds. So there was the idea of giving some money away. Um, there was a lot of talk, obviously, about spending the three hundred million pounds that the executive cannot access because there's not a first and deputy first minister in place. So there are bits and pieces the executive could do to try and alleviate the cost of uh, um, you know the, the, the cost of living crisis. But there's not a great deal. If, if the parties were being absolutely honest with the electorate. Where I think it, the, the lack of an executive has made a difference, and this applies not just to the current hiatus um, in terms of first, Deputy First Minister, but also this dates back to 2017 when, when the executive uh, collapsed, is you know, the health service and, and the need for tough decisions, full implementation of Bengoa, uh, dealing with health service waiting times, because that crisis predates COVID, and you really do need a proper evolved power-sharing executive to try and deal with, with health service issues. And that's where a proper executive rather than a zombie executive, the absence of, of it will be sorely missed. And, you know, we could potentially be looking, it'll be a doom monger here, but you know, if this is not resolved within 24 weeks, and what you probably see is not elections, or it's a possibility, and like I say, they wouldn't solve anything, but there's a possibility of more legislation to try and keep the show on the road somehow and still not a proper executive in place. That's not good enough because, you know, the crisis in the health service will continue to mount. 
Not a bit of wonder we have a frustrated population. Uh, John, thanks for thanks for joining us on the program after a very busy weekend. Thank you. My pleasure. It's Professor John Tong from the University of Liverpool with us here on the U105 uh, phone in. 02890 A very good morning to you. It's Frank Mitchell here until the middle of the day. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.